Hello. It's kind of like the lights were on and nobody was home. So, grace. Y'all still heard me anyway. <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise God. So I guess I said all that to say that, you know, the Bible says he's able to do exceeding abundantly. I didn't know that scripture back then, but he did it. He did exceeding abundantly above what I was able to ask or think. I didn't even know what to ask for. I was just there. Just just to pacify my girlfriend. Who was a backslider backslider. You know, okay, whatever. Yeah, I'll go to your your meeting, whatever you want to call it. That was my attitude. God still filled me with the Holy Ghost. Amazingly. Amen. That's a that's mercy. That's grace. That's love right there. That's he looked beyond my my nasty attitude and my wrong motive and he looked beyond all that and he still filled me with the Holy Ghost anyway. <clears throat> Hallelujah. That's right. Amen. Amen. And so those people that that we were singing about in that song Jesus God came down and called those people. He he, he delivered them out of Egypt. And then he said in that song it says then he said, I want to lead you. Put your trust in me. You got to want to be willing to be led. Right? Because you can be stubborn. There's people out there, if you've worked in the workforce before, there are some people out there that are just plain old flat out untrainable. They don't want to be led by anybody. They want to be in charge. They don't, they're unteachable. They just don't want, they don't want to be led. They want to lead. They want to be in charge of everything. And they're, they're not teachable. And so we, that's what he was telling them. That's what he was telling us. I want to come in here with a, that kind of attitude. I want to, not just here, but I want to walk with, in my walk with the Lord every day to having that teachable spirit. I'll never forget that first pastor's wife I had in, in the UPC church that said that to me. It just floored me. Because nobody had ever said anything like that to me. You have a teachable spirit, Brother Demuth. I just, it just boggled my mind. I was like, I almost was like, what does that mean? Because nobody had ever said that to me. And it, it impacted me so much that I determined from that day until now that I'm going to, I'm going to do whatever I can to not lose that. Because you can lose that. You can get haughty and lift it up and start thinking you got it now and you know it all and you, I'll let you know if I need you, God, because I've come to, I've arrived, right? We don't ever want to get to that place because <laughs> we have a merciful God and he knows just exactly how to help us to become humble again, right? He will. You just read the story about Paul, right? How would you be like to be blinded for three days? Not know if you're going, if you're ever going to be able to see again. You've lived your adult, you've, you've become an adult, and all of a sudden you go blind one day. God had a way of humbling that man so he could use him. I don't, I'd rather be pliable in God's hands now, voluntarily, than have him to kind of push me into that place, right? Just because he's merciful doesn't mean it's going to be comfortable. Right? It wasn't comfortable. 
for Joseph to sit in prison for what, 11 years or something. It wasn't comfortable. It wasn't, it didn't go well with all the fancy dreams that he had, but it, it had a purpose. So he humbles us. Thank God for that. If you haven't been humbled recently, maybe you're just doing better than me, but Thank God for his his ability to humble us and our willingness to be pliable and let him to be able to look at yourself and say, okay, what do I need to do, God? You know, because he's not doing anything wrong, right? That only leaves one other person, doesn't it? Us. Praise God. So we've been talking about practical religion. James 1, 26 and 27, if any man among you seem to be religious, bridleth not his tongue, but see with his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. So when we met together last, we were talking about, we were kind of in toward the getting toward the end of James chapter 4, where we were talking about pride, stubbornness, and double-mindedness. Everybody remember that? Okay. So we're going to jump right into James chapter 4, verse 9 and 10. That's kind of where we left off, but I kind of wanted to hit that again before we move forward into something else. But it says there, be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. we got to do our part. Humble yourselves. That's what James is telling his fellow believers, right? Just like when Jesus departed this earth and left the church in the hands of 12 people that were very inexperienced, Had they ever led a church or the church before? Nope. Had there ever been a day of Pentecost before? Did they have a clue what they were doing in the natural? No. So you could actually say that they were literally flying by the seat of their pants. It's just pants is a general term, okay? But they they were having to learn as they went. It's just like when 3,000 souls were added to the church that day. This is a question that I have. Who baptized those people? Those 12 guys? It would have taken them weeks. If you do the math, if you figure a minute, maybe two minutes at the most, and that's not counting the people that come out of the water speaking in tongues, and you got to wait for them to settle down. Right? So if you figure a minute per, I don't even want to do the math, but it's, I did the math prior, weeks and weeks and months ago, I was just thinking about this. Who baptized all those people? They had to, they had no system. They didn't know what to do. Right? So God had to give them wisdom. They had to be willing to listen and let God direct. But somehow or another, they got those, and it doesn't say what kind of time frame happened between the, the upper room on the day of Pentecost and the day that at the end of Acts chapter 2 where it says, and they went 
from house to house breaking bread. It doesn't say how long that took. It might have been the same day. It might have been the next day. It might have been a month late. We don't know. But they got it all taken care of. And not only did Jesus release the church into these the hands of these 12 guys who were from all over. I mean, they were all over the map. And trust me when I tell you they were still making mistakes. Why? Because they're human. They're flesh. Right? So now they're turning around and handing the responsibility of the church into the hands of new converts. Because that's what they were. New converts, right? So in the beginning, the church was run by a bunch of new converts. Does that make sense? That Does it? I'm not preaching false doctrine, am I? Really? <laughs> not those 3,000. <laughs> so, so they were going from house to house, breaking bread and having fellowship, and so they had to be trusting in God. They had to be. And trusting the Holy Ghost to lead them. Kind of makes sense. That's what we need to do, right? Because if we will just trust God and trust the Holy Ghost, He'll lead us. He'll guide us. He'll direct us. He'll, He'll, we gotta go out there and do it, right? We gotta go to their house. We gotta sit down. We gotta open our mouth and talk. But if we'll just let the Holy Ghost lead, He'll make stuff happen. And that's what was happening. He made it happen on the day of Pentecost. They were just in an upper room praying. The Spirit of God moved in, and that's when stuff started happening. And so that's what we got to do when we go. That's what they did when they went from house to house. They took the presence of God with them to that place. And so I'm saying all that to say that's what James is telling the church. He's encouraging them. They'd, they'd been doing this a while, and, and some flesh and some things started getting in the way. If you if you go back and read the book of James, we've already been through it. But what what was the primary reason, the thing that he was addressing the most with those people in that letter? Their flesh, carnality, their attitudes, their mindsets, their wrong motives and thinking was what was getting in the way of the will and the work of God. Isn't that what it said in a general sense? Right? And he was talking to Holy Ghost-filled, water-baptized people. And he was, James was basically handing them the baton. Here, I know I'm not going to be back there, guys. I'm, I'm going to be with Jesus. So you're, it's on you, it's in your hands. So I'm giving you some last words of encouragement. <clears throat> and as I said last week, he wrote this letter out of out of a sincere love and concern. These were his people. His he had sat at dinner with these people. He had he knew them personally. He knew their kids. He wasn't just like a, an official or something. He was. They were a close knit group. They went from house to house, breaking bread and having fellowship. They didn't meet in a building. And so James was doing just like Jesus did and just like the apostles did. They were handing this stuff off to somebody else to just carry on the work. Right? Isn't that what happens today? If a pastor of a church suddenly passes away, 
they don't just stop having church, do they? Somebody steps up. The work keeps going on. Even if they don't do everything right, somebody steps up and says, we got to keep this thing going. I've, I've known of many churches where it wasn't even a licensed minister. Just an elder in the church stepped up and started teaching until somebody came. Because whoever that person was realized and recognized somebody's got to keep this thing going. We got to keep the people encouraged. We, we got to keep teaching and somebody God put it in their heart to step up and do that. So that's what James is telling the church. And he makes a comparison toward the end of chapter 3 between God's wisdom and all all other wisdom. What does he say about all other wisdom? Where does it come from? It's devilish, right? If it's not from God, it's not necessarily from the devil. Sometimes it's our wisdom. What we think, our own opinion, right? <laughs> Earthly, sensual, devilish, right? If it's not of God, what did that one lawyer say? This, if it's not of God, it'll come to naught. Don't worry about it. But if it's of God, you don't want to be putting your hands over there messing with it because he'll smack your hand, right? That's what he was telling them. And so... James is trying to encourage these people. You, He's saying, without saying these words, you're carrying the church on to the next level. So here's some things I'm going to give you, some things I observed while I was there, some things that maybe I was guilty of myself, and I'm trying to help you to not keep doing the same wrong things all the time so that you can grow, the, grow and, and go on with the will of God, right? So in James chapter 4, verse 1, he asks the question, kind of a rhetorical question, from whence come wars and fightings among you? So there was wars and fightings among them. <clears throat> Has that ever happened in a modern-day church? Bickering and fighting and stuff going on inside the church with among people? Oh, I mean, just it, it runs the gamut from one thing to the other. People can't get along with each other because we're all people. We're all flesh. We're not going to get along sometimes. It's just, it just happens. So James is trying to encourage them and he's asking them, where, where does all this stuff come from? Then he sort of answers this question. Come they not hence, even of your lusts that war in your members? Everybody wanting to have their own way, right? Well, I don't, I don't like it. That we do it that way, I, I think we should do it this way. Well, I don't like the color of that carpet. I think we should have this color carpet. I don't like the color of the pads on the pews. I think we should have that color pad on. I don't think we should have pads on the pews. Everybody's opinion's different. I don't think we should. We should have sawdust and not carpet. You know, everybody wants something different. You know, and then, and they were fighting among themselves instead of saying, "Hold on, wait a minute. Why don't we ask God what He wants?" Right? Novel idea, right? <laughs> what do you think? He'll settle it. Trust me. So that's what he was saying. You're bickering and fighting among yourselves. James chapter 4, verse 2 and 3 says, You lust and have not. You kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. But you fight and, you fight and war, yet you have not. Because you ask out. You're so busy bickering and fighting among yourselves. 
that you're missing the whole point. You're trying to figure it out among yourselves instead of asking God. And then when you do ask God, you you go to God like this. God, you it's green, right? We, we do need to have green. Tell him, tell him, God, that we need green carpet. Right, God? Instead of saying, what do you want? We want him to side with us. See, they're all wrong. I'm right. See, told you. Right? That's not a right attitude either, is it? That's a terrible attitude. So this is, all of this is going on. He's talking about this throughout the whole book of James. He's trying, and it's not the book of James, right? It's a letter. We, somebody in the 1500s made it a book. Or the 1200s, whatever. They put chapters in in one time and then they added verses another time. But it was just a letter. It was prose. It was just James writing style. He wrote. So this was his letter to his people and he, <clears throat> But at the end of, near the end of chapter four, what's he talk about? We just read it. I'll go back to it. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy into heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. Now, if I didn't know any better, that almost sounds like they're having a prayer meeting, interceding and travailing. That's what be afflicted and mourn sounds like to me. Maybe it's not, but that's just kind of what I, maybe I read into it, but let your laughter be turned into mourning. We gotta, you know, it was like James was telling them, we gotta take this serious. We need to have a prayer meeting. We need to intercede and travail and find out what is wrong with us and get it right with God. Right? And so James is telling them, if you'll just focus all your time and energy and your, your motives and everything about what you're doing on drawing close to him and humbling yourselves before him, doesn't it make sense that if you're doing that, you're not, you don't have time to bicker and fight and argue among each other? Does that make sense? If you're busy humbling yourself, you know, like David said, a humble and a contrite heart, oh God, thou will not despise. So if you're busy drawing close to God, if you're spending, if you're putting all of your time and energy and effort into drawing close to God, you don't have time to fight with your brother and your sister and argue over silly stuff. That's what he's saying here to me. They're just, they're bickering and fighting over silly stuff and it's all about me, 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 me. What I want, what I like, what I think. But it wasn't about that when we came to God, was it? He didn't ask us what our opinion was. How do you think I should fill you with the Holy Ghost? He didn't do that. He gave us instructions on what to do, didn't he? And he used men to do it. And they asked him that day. They asked Peter, who didn't know until that morning when he got up that he was going to preach. He had nothing prepared, nothing on paper. He didn't have a computer. He didn't have an iPad. He just spoke from what God was saying to him in his mind. And he's just repeating what God was saying. So it was really God talking on the day of Pentecost. And what did those people say? Everybody knows what it, 237, what does it say there? Men and brethren, what shall we do? 
they got to that place where they were like, wow, the light came on. Right? I remember getting to that place. How about you? Paul got to that place. The light came on. The scales were removed. The revelation came. The understanding came. Oh, I need to be baptized in Jesus' name. Where where do I go to get that done is what they were saying. Right? And so it's all about drawing close to God. That's what he was telling them. If you'll just stay close to God and find out what his will is, you won't have all these problems with bickering among yourselves. About this one having a say. And that's what the religious people were doing. That's what the Pharisees and the scribes were doing. Trying to control everything and everybody. Because they were the doctors of the law, right? Jesus came and disrupted that whole thing. Because now the people the church didn't have a temple to go to. They didn't have a certain routine to follow. You know, Because in the temple they had to bring an animal. And they had to do all the little... The little routines according to the Mosaic Law, but when the church came along, they didn't have that. That's what just just totally aggravated those religious Jews. Because they could just follow the Holy Ghost. Right? I'd rather, much rather, follow the Holy Ghost than try to do it myself. Because then I don't have God in my corner, so it's just me. Does that mean that I couldn't go out here and just leave and go start my own church somewhere out of out of here? Well, I think I can do this. I don't need these people. I can go do my own thing. Sure, go right ahead and do that without God. Is that going to last? It might for a little while <clears throat> from all of your human effort and intellect and stuff, but it's not going to last very long. God's not a part of it, right? That's why Jesus said, that he would build his church. Right? That's what he told his disciples, wasn't it? I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, as long as he's building it. So he never told us to build a church, did he? What did he tell us to do? Go ye therefore and teach all nations. Right? Making disciples. Right? He gave us that commission to go. Carry the gospel. Don't, he didn't ever said build a church, ever. It's not in there. So we got to be careful. So in Matthew 22, verse 36 through 40, there was this, this moment where one of the religious Pharisees, who was supposed to be an expert and an authority on the things related to the Mosaic law, asked Jesus a question. And this is leading into kind of where we're going. With James. He says, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? They love to ask Jesus trick questions. So he's implying there's only one great commandment, right? Maybe he knows what it is. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe he's trying to find out. But he asked this question. The the Bible in the scripture says he was a lawyer. And so Jesus saith unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. That's all your understanding, intellect, intellectual faculty, and thought. This is the first 
and great commandment. So Jesus says, I'm going to give you one better. There's not just one, there's two. And the second is like unto it. This is the key right here. So James was saying, draw close to God, right? Humble yourself. So that's thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, and with all thy mind. That's drawing close to God. And the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I think that's the humbling part. Humble yourself. That doesn't mean humiliate yourself. Just look at yourself. Don't think of yourself so high. Think of yourself as I'm just a humble servant. Because that's what we are. Right? We're his servants. We're his sons. Right? We have his royal robe of righteousness on us. But we're his servants. We're here at his pleasure. You know, that, that song, Thou art worthy, thou art worthy to, to be glorified because thou hast created all things for thy pleasure. He's created us for his pleasure. I want to be that vessel for him, don't you? I want him to say about me, well done. Well done. Thou good and faith. What did, what did we do for him to say well done? You have to have done something, right? Carried the gospel. Right? He didn't give us anything else to do but that. Love your neighbor as yourself. Ephesians 2 and 4 says, But God, which is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That word love there in those scriptures and and all those that I just read is the word agapeo, which is from the root word agape. And agape is the only kind of love in the Bible that has no strings attached to it. There's no, it has no conditions. It's the only one that has not conditional. It's it's the God love because God loved us unconditionally, right? He did. He looked beyond our our faults and saw our needs. He loved us when we weren't unlovable. He loved us when we didn't deserve it. And he loved us enough to go to that cross. What does that scripture say? We love him because why? Because he first loved us. So like, like I heard one preacher say, you have to receive love before you can return it. So we had to receive his love. People have to receive the love of God that that is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost from us. They have to feel the love first. Right? You can expound with all your biblical knowledge and stuff at the beginning, but if there's still blinders on, they're not going to hear a word you're saying. You got to get past that. And you got to love people. You just got to love people. Sometimes they're not going to come to church right away. But you still got to love them. You still got to love on them and and you got to wait for God to bring them along in his time. Cuz there's not a lot of love among people in this world today. There's a lot of hate going on. 
So when we bring that kind of love, that kind of agape love, into the picture, it just confounds people. It just blows their mind. They don't even know how to deal with it. That's what James was saying to the church. He was trying to help them. Where was it? Well, I'll get there in a minute. He even answered the rich young ruler in the story about the rich young ruler, and he he was a religious lawyer also. Even though he kept all the commandments from his youth, and don't we we keep all the commandments, right? We do all the things we're supposed to do and do all the do's and don't do all the don'ts, right? That's what this young man was saying. Jesus told him that he still lacked one thing. He said, go and sell all that you have. Think about that. He didn't go tell him, sell all that you have and give me 10%. He said, sell all that you have and give it to the poor. So what was he in a sense saying to him? Humble yourself. Become poor. Because when you sell all your stuff, if you have lots of possessions and lots of money in the bank, and Jesus says, get rid of it all, give it away and sell it, till you have nothing, what does that leave you? Destitute. Poor. Nothing. That's what he was telling him. And that he would have great rewards in heaven if he do that. Humble yourself. And he he basically was saying, totally divest yourself of self. Because that's what all that stuff was. Him satisfying himself. Look at all my stuff I got. Look at all my money I got. Jesus said, if you'll divest yourself of self and all the stuff associated with self and focus all your energy on the Lord, focus on drawing closer to God, it'll not just change his financial status, will it? won't it? It'll change everything about him. His whole attitude, his mindset, it'll make him pliable in the Lord's hands, like that clay on the potter's wheel. Just pliable. Do whatever you want to with me, God. How many really want to, really, really, really want to say that and mean it? And know that when you say a prayer, prayer like that, that you're setting yourself up. Right? Lord, I'm in your hands. Completely, totally, I relinquish all, all control. You're in control. I'm not. You do whatever you want with me. You say whatever you want to say to me. You tell me, go wherever I want to, and I'll go there. You know that when you do that, you're just leaving the door wide open. But that's what he wants. It doesn't mean he's going to pull a dirty trick on you and send you somewhere God forsaken, you know, what they call that. He's not going to do that. He's just waiting for us to just stop trying to be in control of our life. Right? Were we in control when we got the Holy Ghost? Nope. Anybody ever feel, ever remember feeling like you were in control when you got the Holy Ghost? Nope. You weren't. At that moment, you weren't. You, leave, you relinquished complete control of your entire being, including your tongue, to God. Right? Everybody agrees with that. So why don't we keep doing that? We don't. We kind of start taking control back. That's what was happening in the church. 
it's no different today than it was back in the day when James was writing this letter. He was trying to tell the church, your flesh is starting to get in the way. Your, your, your self is starting to get in the way. Get, just get self back out of the way and get back on the right road and get back on, in the right mindset so God can use you as his vessel. Amen? James 4, 11, and 12, moving on. Cautions concerning criticism. Speak not evil one of another, brethren. He that speaketh evil of his brother and judgeth his brother speaketh evil of the law and judgeth the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. Verse 12, there is one lawgiver who is able to save and destroy. Who art thou then, I'm adding the then, that judgest another? Who do we think we are? Right? Don't speak against one another. What does that do when you do that? Now, let me ask you this. If you think it and don't speak it, is it the same thing? Because if God can read your thoughts, then to God you're saying it. If you're just thinking it and not verbalizing it to the people around you. Does that make sense? So you got to even be careful what you're thinking. Right? Let every thought be brought into the obedience of Christ, right? Lord, help me to help my thinking to be right. Right? Help my thoughts. Because out of the abundance of the heart, your thoughts, right? As a man thinketh, right? You can, you might try to hide it, but it's going to come out. If you're thinking one thing and saying another, what is that called? Yeah, exactly. That word hypocrisy is an interesting word. You know what it means? It's like an actor in Hollywood. That's what hypocrisy means, hypocrite means. Putting on an act. Because those people in Hollywood that put, that act in those roles, they're not being themselves. They're just being the role of the person that's in the script that they had to study, right? They're just acting like somebody else. And I know nobody in here is watching any of those movies, but those people aren't the people you see in the movie. They're somebody totally different. When you get away from Hollywood, they, they're, some of them are just, they're, they're very private. They don't have any social life. They just keep to themselves. And so that's what a hypocrite is. Sorry for that. James 4.11 in the Amplified says, My brethren, do not speak evil about or accuse one another. He that maligns a brother or judges his brother is maligning and criticizing the law and judging the law. Whose law is it? Whose law is it? Whose? Not ours. It's God's. Right? But if you judge the law, you are not a practicer of the law, but a censor and a judge. To malign somebody means to defame or slander or libel. I think James talked about that earlier in this lesson, didn't he? About maligning people and talking about them and you bite and devour, you know, one another. We do that? Do we do that? Don't answer that. Answer it to yourself. Think about that, though. Do we do that? 
Do church people do that to each other? Just think about that. You would say no, but we know better. That word judges in there means to form an opinion of. Do we do that? Do we form opinions about stuff and people? Right? I kind of joked the last time I talked about this. Why is she wearing that dress? Why he doesn't he know that tie don't match with that suit? Right? Do none of us think that? What possessed them to buy that? <laughs> Where'd they get that recipe? Right? Right? I could go on and on, right? But we got we gotta be careful. Our thoughts. He's he knows. He knows he knew their thoughts in the Bible. He blew their minds when he would answer their thoughts. And he they're thinking, they're standing there going, How did he know I was thinking that? This is just that Jesus guy, right? How did he know that? If he created your mind, I'm sure he can read your mind, right? Makes sense to me. So I gotta be careful that I don't slander somebody in my thoughts. If we're speaking evil, if we're defaming and slandering our brother or our sister and forming opinions in our minds about them and making judgments about them, are we not affecting, in effect, exalting self at the expense of our brother or sister? Are we? I don't know. You can shake your head yes or no. Right? We don't want to speak against one another. And we don't want to give the enemy an opportunity to plant a spirit of division in our heart and by extension in the body. Because that's what he's looking for. He's looking for an opportunity to plant a spirit of division. All he's got to do is get that in one person's heart and then start manifesting that. You mean the spirit of division can get in the heart of somebody and they can bring it in the church? Really? Yeah, like a spirit of jealousy, like a spirit of envy, like any kind of spirit like that. You can manifest that spirit. You're not, you don't have, you're not like possessed, but there's a spirit of inf- that's influencing how you think and how you act, right? Is that possible for Holy Ghost filled people? Can we let spirits influence us as Holy Ghost filled people if we're not? sensitive I'm I'm just asking I'm not the pastor I'm just I'm just asking a question this is a question to my mind and I'm thinking yeah cuz I know some some I know personally know some people that were holy ghost filled that are you once you're filled with the holy ghost you're filled with the holy ghost they're not serving god right now they're they're out of church family So did a spirit influence them to, uh, you bet they did. And they let it. Right? So we can get that. We gotta be careful about that. Allowing that stuff into the, into the body. I don't want to be that tool of the enemy, do you? That's what James is telling the church. To watch out for this stuff. Because it'll creep in unawares. What does the Bible say about the little foxes? Let's spoil the vine. It's not the big problems. It's the little stuff. 
The little innocuous stuff that we don't think anything about. Oh, that's just, that's just her. That's just him. No. That's not. Not if they have the Holy Ghost. That could be a spirit of it, an influencing spirit. And so what, what do I do? What do I do when I sense that? I, I look at that as an opportunity to pray. Right? Every soul I see out there that's living like the devil, it's just an opportunity for me to pray. God, they don't know what they're doing. If they had the Holy Ghost, they wouldn't act like that. Right? Like Bill Burdick used to say. <laughs> See, that was a new convert. That guy said that everywhere we went. If they wouldn't act like that, if they had the Holy Ghost. Right? And that's true. I wouldn't act, I wouldn't have acted the way I was acting if I'd had the Holy Ghost, but when I got the Holy Ghost, what did I do? I quit acting like that. And why, why did I quit acting like that? Because God started talking to me. Gently. And let me know that's not pleasing to me. And He let me choose to stop doing those things. And what did I do? I did. Was it easy at first? No. Lost a lot of quote-unquote friends when I first got in church and God started dealing with me about all this stuff. But you know what happened? By and by, not very long after that, I started realizing that my my new friends in the church loved me a whole lot more than those people that I thought were my friends out there. Right? Praise God. So... If there's any difference, is there any difference? I've already said that. Okay. So what was the second great commandment? To love? To agape? To agape your neighbor as yourself? Do we love ourselves? I hope so. I mean, I don't look in the mirror and talk about how gorgeous and wonderful and hunk, you know, I, I, but we got to love ourselves. We got to have a, a healthy love for ourselves because we are a child of God. So we got to love them with his love. Real quickly, James already covered this in in chapter 2 verse 4 through 8. He says, "Are you not partial in yourselves and you become judges of evil thoughts? Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom?" which he hath promised to them that love him, but ye have despised the poor. Do not rich men oppress you and draw you before judgment seats? Do, do not they blaspheme the worthy name by which you are called? If ye fulfill the royal law, I think he's referring back to, to where we read in Matthew right here, because he says, if you'll fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Ye do well. He's encouraging the church. And just to kind of bring this to a close, it's 10, 15, or 16. There's only one judge, right? And we're not him, right? I'm not the first person to say that. But we are not the righteous judge, are we? We weren't sent here to judge. We weren't called here to judge. We were called to love, to shed abroad our, the, the love of God in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, right? To take the love of God. And so we... I love this scripture. We've received what we have, the baptism of the Holy Ghost, the love of God, 
and all the benefits that come with this. We've received it freely. We didn't have to do anything to receive it. We just had to submit ourselves, right? So what does the Bible say? Freely you have received, freely give. That's what James is trying to get him to. Don't, don't let it stagnate after I leave, James is saying. Get all this stuff out of the way so that the church can continue to grow and prosper. Amen? Father, we love you today. We thank you for this good word today. I pray that something I've said has been a blessing and an encouragement to somebody. Lord, we pray for the remainder of this service that you would anoint mightily our pastor to speak what you have already given him to speak to us today, that he would bring us a word from you today, Lord, that he would encourage and bless and minister our hearts today. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. I'm sorry I cut you off three minutes on your break. So.